The MHI Industry Leadership Podcast brings together the solutions, providers, and thought leaders of the materials handling industry to talk about trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices to move the industry forward. Christian Dow is the Executive Vice President of Membership and Industry Leadership at MHI. In each episode, Christian will be talking to the leaders and members of MHI's industry groups. Let's join in now. Hey, Frank, how are you? Uh, top shelf. Top shelf. That's how I am. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Doing well. well I mean, I'm not Christian Dow good, but I'm pretty good. I am, I am pretty good. I'm just saying. Good, but I'm glad to hear you're good. But <laughs> oh, uh, you. yeah, we've got an interesting one today. So we have two members from the MHI Solutions Community Software Committee. Yeah. joining us today. Who do we have? So we've got a couple of heavy hitters. I know I say that a lot, but this time I really mean it. No, this, time, I, <laughs> this time you actually mean it. Okay. This time is the truth. No, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, we've got a couple of uh, guys who are are very well versed in the software, especially with respect to warehouse optimization, automation, that kind of thing. Uh, we've got Bill Denby, the uh, VP of product marketing at Texas. And I don't mean like for the whole state. That's Texas, T-E-C-S-Y-S, right? Not Texas, right? Texas. Just so don't get confused, right? Don't get confused. Gotcha. Uh, so he's joining us. And, and then we also have uh, Gaspar Galata, who is uh, the director of software consultancy at uh, Canop, Canop, North America. Yeah, gotcha. Canop, North America. So that's who we've got. And, uh, and so welcome, gentlemen. Here they are. So we'll start off with Bill. Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience, and your company? Sure. Um, Texas is a supply chain software company based out of Montreal in Canada. Um, I'm personally based in the UK. Uh, we've been around about 40 years. I, it's actually this year is our, uh, is our anniversary, our 40th anniversary. We're a public company. And we kind of focus on the, the, uh, the supply chain software side of organizations that have either very agile or very complex uh, challenges with our supply chain. So um, looking forward to this dialogue. We do a lot of automation, but we have a, uh, I'll probably be talking from the lens of, uh, of the, uh, the, uh, the software side of the puzzle and, uh, and how we, uh, we integrate and, uh, and affect the optimization in the warehouse from a software perspective. Excellent. Well, welcome. Gasper, you. can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Canop? Yeah. Um, Canop is a, uh, Austrian company. We're based out of out of Graz, Austria. I work for our our North American branch here in Kennesaw, Georgia, um, and we're positioning ourselves as as a value chain tech partner. And and what Canop really does is uh, provide material handling equipment, be it shuttles, piece picking robots, uh, as well as the software side on the WMS side, labor management, um, and really looking to put together full solutions for automated uh, material handling space uh, for our customers, which which range um, from a variety of industries and and sizes. Um, me personally, I I come from the the supply chain background, um, have a degree in computer science. So I've I've held positions all the way from from developer at companies like this, um, all the way through project management uh, and sales marketing. So happy to be here. Well welcome. Welcome to you both. 
So let's start off with with Gasper. So Gasper, what have you noticed over the past few years in the way that organizations are responding to the general challenge to drive more efficiency and resiliency within their distribution and fulfillment operations? It's it's been interesting to watch for the the 10 years that that I've been in the industry. I mean, I think that we've experienced pretty consistent growth uh, throughout that entire period. Um, we noticed that that COVID came along and and instantly shut everyone's projects down. Uh, that was that was kind of a brief period though, because it, as soon as things started to clear up, what it ended up doing was was pushing e-commerce uh, into the forefront. We saw a lot of companies adjusting their sites from traditional retail distribution to suddenly fulfilling uh, the majority of their orders through e-commerce. Um, that presented a, a bunch of challenges as far as how they're going to meet their new customer demand. Um, and at the same time, we've been seeing uh, on the executive side from a lot of these companies, they're probably due to Amazon, but but these companies are, are taking a different approach of, of no longer letting uh, warehouse and distribution be a cost center, but rather uh, looking at at making it a competitive advantage and, and allowing that to to be an area of their business that sticks out, and so that's that's brought a rapid growth um, to to the industry as a whole, and and created a bunch of inno- innovative solutions around how to tackle those challenges. Absolutely, absolutely, Bill. Are you have any insight as well? To- well, I, I totally I totally agree with that comment. I mean, we. <clears throat> We've never been busier, um, and uh, even during the in in the in the last five years, we've actually doubled in size as an organization. Um, and the one thing that we hear constantly is, "I know what my warehouse looks like right now. I don't know what it's going to look like in twelve months or eighteen months, but I know it's going to have to be better than it is right now." Um, and uh, my executive are building strategies and plans to support um, customer expectation, increasing and co- ever-evolving customer expectation. And they absolutely need my facility to be a key part of that solution. And so I will have to respond at some point in some way. And and if I'm not equipped to be able to do that, then... I'll be. I'll not be able to respond to these business lead, business leaders and business requirements. So, you know, it's a it's a common it's a common uh, common theme. Uh, I know what my system looks like today, but give me the tools to be able to change it because it's not going to be the same a year from now. So I have to be able to take control of my supply chain, and I have to be able to take control of my operation to allow myself to continue to evolve and develop over the years. So, Bill, when they call you, do they say, "Give me the crystal ball treatment"? Right. They, T- they tell me what this us. is going to look like in 12 months so you can build that. Well, no, they call us and they say, build what I need. I think I need today, but equip me uh-huh. with the ability to change it myself as my needs evolve. Don't just give me a solution for today, but give me a solution that has adaptability built in at the foundation of it to, yeah. to give me the resources to say, yeah, I'm going to I can support that, whatever you need. So you so, take that, and, um, and so the scalability that's so engineered in from the very, very beginning. Versus, absolutely. Yeah. No, that absolutely. makes sense. Yeah, makes yeah. good sense. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And and uh, and, and Bill, you talk about the growth of uh, of Texas, and I've I've heard the same from from Canop and and mem- many MHI members that have just uh, you know increased and in, and in sometimes more than double in size. And it's uh, over the last few years, it's been incredible. Yeah, I'm going to jump in one more thing there and say, Christian, like, I feel like, and maybe this is true of the entire material handling industry. Actually, I think it, it is because the more I've been on these or listened to these and edited these and all that kind of stuff over the, the time that we've been doing this, I feel like this might be the most disrupted industry of any mm. out there, period. Like, I, yeah. I, and maybe I don't want to overstate it, be a, you know, a jerk. And I'm sure some guy in, in the stock market is going to be like, well, I don't think I agree with that or whatever. But like, in, in all seriousness, this, I feel like every time I turn around, you guys are talking about not just like, oh, we tweaked this a little bit. It's like, oh, here's a wholesale change that was introduced and yeah. made our industry completely different than it was 12 months ago. The thing yeah. that strikes me the most is do you remember five years ago having a conversation about supply chain problems with your mother? Because I can guarantee one of you has done that in the last few weeks. Oh, yeah, well, it got stuck in transit, Mom. Don't worry about it. It'll be here tomorrow. Those dialogues, people are actually considering supply chain now. Consumers are considering supply chain. And it was it was an afterthought five years, ten years yeah. ago. I was going to say, whereas before it was, yeah, it was hidden behind the scenes. Like nobody would even, if you yeah. had said, mom, I'm worried about the supply chain. She would have looked at you and just been like, what are you talking about? Like, what, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. What are you worrying point. about? I don't understand what that is. Yeah. yeah. Gasper, <laughs> what were you going to say? Expectations have completely changed too. I mean, it, it really wasn't that long ago that we were all okay with getting packages two weeks from when we order them. And, and at this point, that's just, that's a no-go and, and companies, if, if they're not equipped to handle the one, two, three day shipping, then then not only, it doesn't matter how good their product is, it's they're not going to be competitive. Um, and so they have a choice. They can use three PLs. They can have somebody else fulfill it. Or if they want to build up their own strength, then they have to to really consider uh, a new strategy. Yeah, and that's not just B two C. That's also B two B. It's right, it's, right, that, right. That, that that's all harmonized now. There's absolutely no difference at all. It's insane. It is, and that and that I think is a huge problem. And seriously, because like it's one thing for me to order chapstick and expect it to get there by 7 p.m., you know, or whatever from some, you know, warehouse across town. Right. But it's a whole other thing for a B2B customer to say, well, you know, I want your entire system. And oh, how's Friday? Right. Yeah, yep. that's that's what uh, distributors uh, and, and wholesalers and manufacturers are all being faced with right now. And that's why. A lot of them are in implementing systems, optimization and automation systems in their warehouses, in their supply chain that look like retail systems. There's a, there's such a blending, a convergence between the the you know the 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 middle of the supply chain and the bottom of the supply chain now that you almost can't tell them apart. I mean, as an organization, Texas has actually merged its distribution and its retail division into one. Because you can't tell anymore which is which. It makes no really. Difference. So when you're dealing with a distributor, you may as well be talking retail problems with them as well, because this it will definitely come up in the dialogue. And the other way, the other way, it's also true. Retailers are saying, "Well, I'll just I'll just private label this and I'll distribute it myself," and and so on and so forth. It's it's throughout the entire industry. So, Bill, where does the where does the WMS software fit into this, and how do how does WMS or warehouse management solutions really 
help well, with the efficiency and optimization within the warehouse environment? If you equip your warehouse with an effective WMS, what it does is it has the the nature of capturing data, right? That's just fundamental. If your WMS is telling your workers what to do, it's also measuring what they're doing and it's collecting that information. And that's how this whole thing started out as regards optimization, is if I can see what everyone's doing, I can figure out the, where the bottlenecks are, where the choke points, how, the better, how, how to better run this operation. When you start bringing automation into the picture, that by its nature collects data. So now you've got data coming in from your automation, you've got data coming in from your labor, and the WMS kind of acts as a, as a consolidation point to say, I'm going to try and collect all this data, figure out the most optimized way of running these tasks that I need to perform inside my warehouse, and at the same time, providing visibility, real-time visibility and tracking of activity to provide that kind of, okay, tactically what needs to be done and strategically what, what needs to be done. So it it it's it's a it's, it kind of consolidates everything together by that by that level of integration, but it also provides um, a lot of information to, uh, to 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 run the operation more effectively and also make decisions strategically about how you can how you can drive forwards uh, to uh, react to those business changes. You know the things that uh, things that occur. So, Gasper, Canop provides a lot of equipment and then also provides software on the other side. How does the, you know, with, with equipment being so heavily mechanical, whether it's conveyors or, you know, sorters or ASRS systems, you know, different types of equipment in a in a warehouse operation, where does software really pro- provide that critical visibility in that? How does how does it really fit within? You know, so something that's so mechanical and you're, you've got things moving at certain speeds down certain lines, and you can do so many packages a minute or you can do so many operations, you know, at a certain time. How does the software really help to optimize that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, regardless of, of what type of automation you have in the building, there's there's going to be a software layer at some point. Right. So you have PLCs controlling it. On top of that, you have you have some sort of warehouse control that's handling the, the flow of goods on the conveyor or, or through the automation, um, at least what, what we see at Canop, I mean, typically the, the software is is maybe only representing 10% of that overall cost. Um, it can obviously fluctuate, but it's it's really the takeaway is there's a small percentage of investment that is really dedicated to the software, but in the end, the software is the brain, the software is, is flexible. Um, when all those change requests come, kind of to Bill's point earlier, when when the customer comes back and says, okay, these were our original design assumptions, but we need to pivot. It's it's often easier to do that on the software side than it is to do it on, on the automation side. So um, while there's these automated components uh, and, and they have their set capacities, uh, the software is really there tying it all together. It's, it's controlling it. It's making the decisions. Um, and regardless of being such a small part of the investment, it, it ultimately carries a, a lot of the percentage of how successful that overall system or project will be. Um, so while it may only be 10% of the cost, it's more like 90% of the the success criteria, oftentimes, at least in our experience. 
Um, it's like, uh, oh, you, you wanted the car to start. Oh, I guess we'll have to give you a key, right? You know, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the, the automation is is proven; it's going to work. Um, but then, how do you fit the automation into all these different scenarios with with different order profiles, and and you have different ways to pick different paths? Uh, so, so having software kind of sit over it all. Um, and and allowing for different automation vendors to exist in a building and and be able to have those orchestrated together, um, that's it's incredibly complex and and it requires an intelligent system uh, to tie it all together. Otherwise, you've you've sunk a lot of your your investment in the automation if it's if it's not being uh, all tied up. Yeah, I, I like the I like the concept of the orchestration in the symphony where the software is the conductor. Um, and then, and then one other thing is, is really, you know, I've seen a lot of projects where companies will start with some critical piece of equipment, but that's not the end all be all over, over an extended period of time. You have to be able to add those, those additional pieces in one of our industry groups, the slam industry group recognizes that often that order fulfillment side of things is kind of the left out forgotten piece until, you know, they've already got the ASRS and, you know, some of the other systems in place. And then when it gets to order fulfillment, it's manual pack stations until later on when, when they come in and finally finish it out so they can actually get things out the door. Bill, maybe you can kind of touch on that a little bit about, you know, how the software can grow with your, your, your automation footprint. Yeah. I think, I think the thing that I, I observe is that really effective um, software integrated into hardware takes into account labor as well and make sure that, that aspect is not, you know, overlooked. You can have an island of automation that can go at 100 miles an hour, but if it's not being fed effectively with replenishments, and it's, you know, it's not being, it just doesn't matter because it's, you end up with running your automation for two hours a day. It doesn't matter, you know. So um, the 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 the, uh, the the technology has to be done so much more holistically than than I think that the, the in the past we always say at Texas it's really really easy to do your first automation project it's the second one that's really not God usually doesn't go well because <laughs> then you've got two things that have to work together getting one thing to work together you can get all these informal processes and throw people at the job and all that kind of thing but making the two of them orchestrate effectively and work with your labor suddenly you're like oh wow yeah this is way more complicated so designing the whole thing from a from a get from this from the starting point and having the right kind of uh, connections uh, across the entire thing is, is almost uh, essential and what drives the whole thing is understanding what's going on by having the data to be able to make the right kind of the right kind of predictions about what your system should look like and what your order flow is going to look like and your velocity and all of those kinds of things. Get that first, then start doing more planning about what the whole thing could look like and then start automating islands of, uh, of, uh, of opportunity kind of thing. But you really have to take a, a big picture view of the thing from the get-go. If you don't, yes. it's going to end badly. So is, is that one of the big, cause I've heard you guys both reference this and, and again, you know, I'm not in the industry. So if this is common knowledge to everyone else, forgive me, but um, like the, the fact that this interconnectedness keeps coming up, like, is that a, that seems like it's a big piece of it where, 
because you said something about having different audit Gasper, you said about having different systems in the building or different, different softwares, vendors, different right. vendors and all these things being able to talk to each other. When you start looking at all that, like, are there some, some keys that you want to be looking at? Like, Hey, what are the software systems we should have? How do we keep these things together? That, that feel, like, you know, Christian can almost tell, I think anymore, like, this is the part that starts to make me sleepy because it's just too many details. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I think I need a nap. Right. Cause it's just, there's so many pieces. Like not only do you have to have all the pieces of the software doing what they do. Oh, then you also have to have these overarching pieces that talk to each other. So how much of that interconnectedness is, is involved and what sorts of things should people be putting together in there? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be just aware when, when you're going to undergo one of these projects, um, the more, <laughs> the more different components you bring in, the the more complexity you're going to get, right. It's these, these, these Frankenstein builds. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that the concept is, is broken, but, Every time you introduce a new vendor in into the facility, then then now you have everybody who's looking after what's typically their own black box, right? Um, and and they say, hey, you give me product, and I'm going to do this with it. Um, you give me an order, I'm going to retrieve this. Uh, and and some system just has to be there as as essentially the integrator of it all, um, and distributing orders to the right place at the right time. Uh, and just making sure that that the workflow is going to be balanced. Otherwise, otherwise you end up at the end with in a room full of all these vendors, and everybody's kind of pointing at the other guys. So um, you need you need some way to to control that and and ensure that if if you're on if you're on the business side and and you're running this operation that uh, that that these different systems are equipped to talk to each other, and it's clearly defined how that communication should take place. Yeah. I think the other aspect of this thing I'd like to, to kind of layer in is also there are some fundamentals you need to get right to optimize your warehouse, regardless of the automation you have. And that's got to do with really understanding the flow, really understanding the structure of how you should lay your warehouse out, understanding what your, you know, what your items are going to be and what your order volumes are going to be and how they're going to flow throughout the, throughout the facility that like just the basics that a lot of organizations go in and think they're going to solve by putting in automation, but they, you know, there are some, things that no you just can't you can't yeah, fi yeah. fix that with automation you need to fix it at source with getting the thing laid out right or getting two more doors because that's where your bottleneck is yeah that's what i was going to say yeah they've got they've got a they've got a, a a you know four foot wide door and they're trying to get you know pick up trucks through it and they're like well we'll just automate it and you're like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's, it's, yeah. you know there are some very fundamental things that uh, like a lot of our customers they're starting their automation projects their journeys to this with some really really basic things things that we wouldn't even consider automation perhaps you know, just uh, tugs that that just move dunnage around, or you know, really, really basic things that give them the chance to get into the process of saying, okay, I now have it. I now have uh, AGVs in my warehouse that are moving stuff around. What's next, and what's next to give them a kind of kind of a, a starting point. Um, and I, I'm not sure, you know, how things are at. Uh, at Canop, but we're starting to see much more ev 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 evolutionary kind of projects than revolutionary projects where people are saying, I want the backbone, I want the foundation, and I think I want to start with just this. 
something small and then I know it's going to work with the next thing that I'm going to bring in and the next thing I'm going to bring in, but I'm going to start small um, because there's the, there's been a few um, notable kind of, ooh, that didn't go well um, type of project. Um, and I think people are learning from that to say, I think I probably need to, you know, get a sense of this before I go all in, you know. Gasper, are you seeing the same where people are a little bit more uh, trying to take a little bit of an additional step than a uh, than a full jump into something completely new? Yeah. So I with with Canop and our portfolio, we 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 have a range of of clients that are beginning their journey. Um, but given given our product set, we do work with a lot who are are doing really large scale projects. Um, that being said, a lot of a lot of our projects, um, Canop is essentially the integrator, right? If we're not the direct manufacturer of the equipment, it's it's equipment that we're uh, leveraging from our partners, and ultimately Canop is responsible for the solution. Um, so it's 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 not that there's a bunch of different um, vendors coming in with their own sort of piece of the pie. Canop is is really providing a, a total solution. Oftentimes, with with an external WMS um, on, on top of it, um, so so we have slightly different perspective, but uh, but we also do see a lot of companies that that are just looking to to dip their toes and and starting um, somewhere small that logically makes sense for them. Casper, what are some of the you know without going too much in the alphabet soup, we need to explain which what each of these are. But there are, we've talked about WMS and how critical that is, but there's other software packages out there that are also very important. What are some of the other ones that you find are like critical to, to many of the applications and installations that you're working on? Yeah, um, WMS, right? We, we don't even really need to talk about. I mean, from my perspective, that's that's essentially mandatory in, in any operation at scale. Um, but and, you and you have to get away from the ERP provided WMS, right? You, you're you're typically getting into a a subset of a WMS that is a a stand on its own product, right? Or are you yeah, you're not I mean, implementing that's, that's, the SAP or the uh, you know the 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 large ERP providers module, right? Yeah, I, a lot of times those those are built. They're they're kind of bolt ons, but. Uh, um, but if you're really if you're really looking to scale up your your operation and really make it efficient, then you should really look at at a, at a system that's purpose built um, and a company that's purpose built for um, for warehousing distribution um, rather than than something that's so far reaching that they just kind of extended a little bit to to add some functionality to track inventory. Um, so WMS is is obviously super important but once you start adding in automation then then you have WCS in play which is is controlling the the load unit or essentially whatever is holding your material controlling that throughout the uh throughout the system and and throughout the conveyor um those are, are what you're going to see almost all the time but um there's there's other systems now that that are able to help as well as far as um, optimizing the people that you have within the building uh, through through labor management, um, you have maintenance management systems, uh, and and all the other MS management systems, right? The, every, like you said, the alphabet soup. Every uh, every letter pretty much has something here. But 
Uh, the key things to focus on are really optimizing your your inventory and process, and then optimizing your your people and, and robotics. Are you seeing? Um, okay, there's a there's a mystery solution called WES that kind of floats around and doesn't really seem to have a home. Uh, it's like you know, is it a part of the WMS? Maybe sometimes. Is it a part of the WCS? Well, it kind of reaches into there sometimes. Is it embedded into where and what? But I think that's an interesting one, and and I think it's one that's very um, poorly understood throughout the industry is is what is a WES warehouse execution system versus a WMS versus a WCS. Sorry and, about the alphabet. And too. have they has one or the other eaten the WES? Has WMS well, eaten it or has WCS eaten it? Has has it just become part of? The I like that. What do you? Bill, are you now a lawyer? What was that? It's depends. What do you mean? It depends. What do you? <laughs> it, it honestly depends on the vendor you talk to and how deep they have built their execution layer into the WMS, or how much they're proxying it out to what they're expecting a WCS to do, or what um, they're relying on a standalone WES to do. But let's let's just talk about definition first. What is a WES, right? You've got your WMS. Thank you, because I have no idea. <laughs> so, uh, and that's been jump right on in if you if I get off track, because it, again, it's one of those terms that's being used by a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. But from our perspective, a w, WES is basically about optimizing the resources you have throughout the entire system by ensuring they orchestrate effectively making sure that they all work together effectively with no with no pause no bottlenecks and everything else like that so all the all the tasks are appropriately prioritized they're appropriately affected and at any kind of time that there's a a, a part of the warehouse that's being overloaded resources are reallocated to ensure that 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 bottleneck is going to not negatively affect the rest of the work. You said that's a warehouse execution system. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. And so that's kind of higher brain, like frontal cortex kind of stuff. It does all the kind of looks at all the systems and and orchestrates them together. Is that what you're saying? That's the concept. Okay. But it's blurring in like, like there are, there are WMSs, um, like ours, for example, they have taken a bunch of the execution layer out of the WES and into the WMS, which has narrowed up the scope of what we would use a WES for. What did did WMS start at? Warehouse management systems. That was just more like inventory tracking kind of stuff. Was it more like that? And now it's just taking new functionality. Is that Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And the W and on the other side of the scale, and I'm sure if you can refer to this, is is the, the 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 WCS, the operations layer, is also becoming far more sophisticated. And and what is what did that do? What what does it stand for? And what does it do? How it's about WCS? you? Yeah, guess what does WCS yeah. mean? So, so WCS is your your warehouse control system, and okay, now and- that does sound like the same thing. It it does. WCS is is going to be more commonly associated with with automated components. So how how are you controlling okay. the automated components uh, within the site? How are you getting a a tote or a carton from point A to point B on conveyor? Um, and then maybe the WMS is really more looking at okay, what's actually in that carton that's being transported, and and what needs to be done with that carton in the future. 
So like the WCS would almost be like the muscles that actually are moving the joints. The WES was kind of like the higher brain function. WMS was more like the, how far do I move it? How many, you know, how many places do I, whatever. Right. And now it's like, well, WMS, I think of the two opposite. WMS was the higher brain function. WES sat between the two. Okay. And then WCS was was just specifically the machine the, control, the machine like controlling the actual machines themselves together, right, like to those things. And so, what you're saying is now all this stuff is just it's just one big piece of software that does everything. Well, I think yeah. the functionality well, has come down from WMS to take some of it, and the functionality has come up from you know WCS to take some of it. Yeah, and, and I guess that goes. So we'll go we'll go right back to Gasper and say, Gasper, are you? have you been implementing discrete pieces of WMS in the, in recent history, or has that just kind of gone away? Yeah. I, I mean, Bill, Bill opened up a can of worms with WES. <laughs> 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 could be, could, could this really. Is, this is UK stage. guys, Gasper says UK guys, you got to watch them. <laughs> um, you know, what, what, what our approach with our customers, um, particularly when they have a WMS provider uh, that that's across their network is is that our WCS, our we even have WMS layer, but but basically our software um, is is modular in that we can draw the line where, wherever necessary for what should lie within our scope within the WCS and and what should lie in WMS's scope. And and we see that project to project, that line is in a different place. Exactly. Um, so there may be projects where we take on more WMS functionality. Uh, and there may be projects where we're really just doing uh, control of of the automation, and and I think I think what you see in, in the WES is that maybe maybe the WES really isn't bringing anything new to the software space, but it did sit between that WMS and WCS, and most providers have have essentially closed that so that in any given project. Um, there, there really shouldn't be a need, and and this is at least my opinion. There, there shouldn't be a need where you have a WCS and then a WES on top of that, and a WMS on top of that. Um, but between the two systems of of control and and warehouse management, you should be able to cover uh, what's necessary. I do have a question for you guys, which I which we're running into a lot, which is how. So no, where does the orchestration of labor live when it comes to how it affects the orchestration? Of oh, Bill, the- that's that's a new piece of software. It's the WPS, right? The warehouse people <laughs> system. We're, we're, <laughs> or well, LMS no, already. We've already talked about really, that. <laughs> like, unless you're living in a very uh, interesting warehouse, you don't have full automation. Every task in the warehouse is not automated. There's someone pumping boxes somewhere, someone moving right. stuff around, right? Mm-hmm. And that orchestration is often an interesting kind of friction point between uh, not just one piece of automation and another piece of automation, but one piece of automation and your labor pool and how they're prioritized and what their work work backlog looks like and what equipment they're driving and, and, and all those kinds of things. Because we're finding enormous benefits from effectively orchestrating the the labor and obviously the the, the material handling equipment that the labor the, the labor are utilizing in the warehouse just to support the automation effectively 
as much as we are, uh, you know, getting getting value out of the automation. It's almost like if they're not synchronized, it all just goes to hell. You know, that's, that's yeah. And then it yeah, has to that, sync that, with that their has Apple. to occur. And, Go ahead, sorry, Gasper. Yeah, you can you can include it in 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 WES or or again it becomes kind of um, semantics on 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 naming a little bit. I know that it's it's an issue that we found at Canop. We have a, a <laughs> Frank won't like this. We have a totally diff different solution that that essentially is looking to aggregate all those transactions, right? So if you have WCS WMS. If you have a an order management service that that's streaming orders, um, that yes, hundred percent, there needs to be a system that can ingest all of that, and and then understand. Okay, look, looking at the hopper of orders, how are these going to flow through the building? What's going to go through automated picking? What's going to go through manual picking? Um, and because those ratios can change, and you don't want you don't want certain areas to be starved for work. Um, so, so the balancing of, of both labor resources and automated resources is something that is becoming more and more essential, um, to, to, to account for whether that falls under the, our WES is going to do it, our WMS is going to do it, or, or even what we're seeing now are, is labor management systems are, are kind of evolving into, uh, resource management systems where it's not just looking at, labor as in human labor, but resources as in humans, robotic arms, AMRs, AGVs, uh, and seeing how all those can can work together. Good heavens. Christian, I'm getting sleepy again. It's too, <laughs> too many details. It's too many. And now and now, now Gasper is going to tell me that uh, it also syncs with a person's Apple watch. And so it knows exactly how fast they walk so it can allocate the faster resources to the time of day that we need to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, well, but but that that stuff that's that's the future and it's it's already coming, Frank. No, are you saying, no, no. Count me well, out. Well, before we get to the future, I do want to I do I want to dive in a little bit and starting with you, Bill, on on where is AI fitting into all this AI and machine learning, you know, with with, with the advancements and and changes and certainly the the front page news of different programs that that are bringing AI to the forefront. What are we going to see coming out this next year? What what are we seeing being uh, implemented into, you know, these software systems that we're talking about in warehouses that are AI and machine learning that that are going to well, make an impact? I think, Christian, the thing about AI, in, particularly in supply chain, is that in the warehouse, particularly, is that it's received a lot of press, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is. Uh, pilot projects and, you know, what we'd like to do in the future and where we see the vision going for leadership and stuff like that. When we talk in the real world about what really, really, really people are doing with AI, I mean, the it, it's slim on the ground, I'll be quite honest with you. When I'm saying today, I'm not saying five years from now or three years from now, I'm saying right now, today. So, we using AI at Texas for a couple of things, um, and we feel like this is the start of, a, of an avalanche of things we're going to use them, use it for. But um, we're using it for um, optimization, travel optimization. So we're putting um, order pool, item masters, all that kind of thing into the into it, and getting it to figure out. Um, least least path traveled for most efficient 
um, uh, uh, pick rate. We uh, we implemented it at a um, a uh, electrical distributor. Um, uh, we got thirty five percent improvement in labor. Thirty five percent. It was a, it was insane. It's a, it's important, Frank. You'll see that that like you know a lot of times we talk about pickers in a warehouse will walk seven to ten miles a day. Guys, crazy. Holy cow! In, yeah, and in, so if you if you can improve that efficiency by thirty five percent, well, that's, that's big, this, right? It, right in this facility, they, right, right. Uh, but I'm just okay, saying, if you if, if you can start thinking and looking ahead at that that yeah. kind of thing, that's that's a big deal. Yeah. Another project we have which has actually been, in our opinion, for, from our perspective, has been more impactful, is we're running um, uh, AI uh, uh, large language models across item masters and going, sort this mess out. Because what you don't realize in a, in, in a lot of operations is the item master, there'll be duplicates, there'll be, there'll be uh, bad item numbers, there'll be you know, bad volumetrics, there'll be bad uh, uh, units of measure, there'll be the, the, the item descriptions will be all messed up, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, AI is incredible for cleaning that up. And um, that, to, to, that has provided us with such enormous payback even on our implementations, because it's given us our, uh, a quality of data that we've never seen before in our warehouse implementations, just by running, simply running item masters through very complex AI uh, algorithms. Um, and uh, uh, this, is, this, this has been immensely impactful for us, um, being able to just make sure that um, this item truly is this size and it can fit in that kind of a slot and all that kind of thing. But uh, today, those are a couple of real-world projects we're actually using AI for. In the future, in the near future, I see it as optimizing uh, workflows, optim optimizing slotting, optimizing, you know, really doing the kind of analytics around how can I make how can I get more out of what I have where you can get a digital twin of your warehouse, pump it through a, through an AI uh, large language model type of uh, operation and get out of it recommendations. That's, that's where I think we're going to go in, in not very long, like, you know, three years, five years at the most. Now, Gasper, I'm told that you actually are doing a lot of work on kind of in this area with, with Canop. What, what are you seeing? What are you, what are you expecting to see in the near future? Yeah, I want want to echo what what Bill said because I completely agree. Is that is that certainly AI has has gotten a lot of a lot of coverage, and that's because real applications do exist. Although it's it's really just at at the infancy stage in in our warehousing industry, um, and so companies are are looking to see how they can bring it in, how they can use it. Knopf, of course, uh, is one of those. Um, I know that when we look at our our software around the resource management, we're we're using it today um, to to make demand forecasts. So we're working with our customers, understanding um, not only their historical data but upcoming sales to really get better at at anticipating what kind of demand the site is going to get hit with. Um, and we're also using it for for labor standards. So um, traditional engineered standards, you would you would time study with the stopwatch. Uh, and and now we're looking at at historical data to kind of try and set what a a uh, achievable um, labor standard could be for a, a job. Um, 
of course, all this is is still early, right? It's it's more around um, machine learning models, um, and and less around what we're seeing with with ChatGPT and all those things outside of our industry, which are, are cool, um, but certainly coming. Um, when I look to the future, though, um, something that I think is going to be really important is uh, really the sophistication of the digital twin. Um, we see, especially in our automated environments, we we have the ability to do simulation, but um, I haven't really seen anything out there uh, that's that's producing a true uh, digital twin, which will really allow uh, our customers to start throwing some of those different um, uh, design assumptions and and order complexities at their system and and get an idea of how it may hold up or or what kind of changes they should make in order to to deal with um, to deal with their their changing business environment that today they can't really do. Uh, so digital twin is something I, I definitely expect to see um, get developed on more um, and and in general just start to bring in some of those existing AI applications into our industry. I'm so proud of myself, Christian. I knew what he meant when he said digital twin because we did that podcast on it a few episodes ago. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. As I dropped my phone, so I was I was going to uh, I was going to bring something real world into the conversation. I was trying to look it up, but uh, I I did two fantasy uh, picks for the March Madness this last year. One of them I did on my own, and that's the one I submitted to our our uh, our uh, local fantasy. Uh, you know, brackets, but the other one, I use the ESPN AI. It put me within the top 1000 out of 20 million submissions. Uh And it picked both the winner and the runner up, which was like San Diego state. And, you know, I I don't remember who was in it, but it was like, it was, well, the gambling industry picked. just collapsed. <laughs> Enjoy, boys. <laughs> it was so phenomenal that it did that. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I looked at the results and went, there's no way that, that you know, it, I mean, it. there were games that were lost and things like that. But to pick the uh, the two, you know, the, the champion and the runner, runners up in the in the, uh, the NCAA tournament was uh, was phenomenal. You know, one thing I want to say about this whole AI in the warehousing our biggest problem right now in implementing AI in the warehouse facility is not the solution. It's getting the buy-in from the people to use it. It really is trust, building that trust to go, no, 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 I've been here for 20 years. I've been doing this for 20 years. I know how to do my job. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to get that change through enough to be able to to be able to make significant change that is new that often appears counterintuitive see there you go now bill's talking my language because what you're saying is all this fancy software and all the bajillion data points that you have to pay attention to and how this integrates with that and, and whether or not the chat gpi thing and the mcl and the who and the whatever all that stuff it still comes down to it's still a people business isn't it it is yeah. Labor, yeah. And then you're able to do it. Yeah. Do That's what I mean. Want. Yeah. Across whether there's yeah humans in the warehouse, humans in the sales, humans in the trust. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that's a really good point, Bill. And that's something that, that I've experienced firsthand multiple times is that, you know, these sites, they have people who've been there for decades and they know their stuff. They, they do it correctly. They do their gut feel is extremely strong. 
And so when when getting that buy-in, you, you it is a delicate process. And and so normally I'm coming in and I'm I'm basically explaining that, you know, we want we want to understand their decision making process better so that we can we can put that into something that will allow those people's decisions to be standardized across their company's network. So essentially what what they do on a daily basis, we want we want to leverage that in the software for for their entire distribution network. Um, but but for sure the the change management for introducing systems like this is is extremely delicate. Well, Frank, did we learn anything today? Holy moly. I mean, I gotta stop saying this because at some point people are gonna stop believing me. But like this another one where I kind of go, well, A, it, it covered all the bases, Christian. I had several moments of like, holy crap, I never would have thought of that. And wow, that's really neat. And then uh, a couple of nappy moments where I was like, this is, oh, I'm wow. glazing over. I can't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do here, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it was super interesting. I think one of the things that that continues to amaze and continues to sit on my my mind all the time is the the level of and even though these guys are competitors, which I think is kind of one of the cool things about the the industry, right? You have you have people sometimes that are on that are somewhat directish competitors, right? But there's always this look at, hey, we're just here to make the industry better. We're here to figure out how do we how do we improve all of this because there's plenty of work to go around. Number one, right? And and number two is. I love that there's less of a focus on we're going to, you know, become these giant powerhouse, whatever, and more of a focus on how do we actually get the job done? How do we actually get people what they need when they need it? And these guys are some of the coolest problem solvers that you bring on. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really fascinating stuff. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. So if you want to learn more about the solutions community and what the work that the uh, software committee is doing, you can go to mhi.org slash solutions dash community. And then uh, if if you uh, want to learn more interesting things and hear more from me and Frank, just uh, like and subscribe this podcast. And uh, we also put out a blog at warehouseautomation.org. So if uh, Frank, I think that's all we got to say today, right? Uh, I think that'll wrap it up for now. And so we will see you again next time. Thank you for joining the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. Join us next time to learn more about the trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices that are moving the industry forward.